Monday morning here on NHL Fantasy on Ice. Great to be here with you, Pete Jensen, here with Davey Satriano and Bob Bender. What's going on, Davey? It's been a while, man. I know you're working the nights. You're working all the late games during the first couple of rounds, right? Yeah, I haven't, uh, haven't seen 9.30 in the morning much, but for you guys, I figured, uh, you know, let's do it. Let's talk some pucks. They don't call him Davey Boy for nothing. I have to take out the old jingle out of retirement, Davey, and I see sure. the audience can't see it, but I can see it. Do I spot a Seattle Kraken hat on the uh, on the old dome today? Yeah, you know, when you're up as late as I am covering these games, sometimes you're waiting for these Zoom calls to start. You say, let me just go to NHL's shop and buy some Kraken. And waste some so, money. Yeah, there you that's go. What that's what I do, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, no no travel this year, unfortunately. So Davey's uh, working the West Coast games. He's getting uh, acquainted with the newest uh, 32nd NHL team. Sick logo, by the way. I don't know if we've even mentioned them on the show just yet, but uh, Davey, I think you got one of the first pre-orders in, right, for that hat and a couple of shirts and stuff? The hat is really nice. The shirt is really nice. But their new alternate logo with the anchor and the Seattle yeah. Space Needle atop is pretty slick. I mean, I like that one a lot, too, so... So what do you think of the first couple of games? We've seen three of the four series uh, kick off over the weekend in round two. A couple of teams I think I'm a little concerned about on this Monday morning. Definitely the Tampa Bay Lightning, but even more so Colorado Avalanche. Not only did they lose game one, Davey, they lost their goaltender, Philip Grubauer. What's the implications here for the long haul? Well, Coach Jared Bednar said he wouldn't play tonight, and he didn't say how long he'd be out, but he probably will be a while. And Pavel Frenzel came in. You know, he did okay. In the playoffs, he's got 159 goals against average. He had 21 wins in the regular season. I think he was like 249-23. The thing to me, it isn't how well he'll play because we know they have offense and they can support the guy. To me, it's what if he gets hurt? Because Michael Hutchinson is the only other goalie they have in the bubble. So if something happens to him, this team is really in trouble. That's true. And uh, yeah, this is not, this is far from the end of the road for them. They still, they're going to have a grueling series here against Dallas, who, by the way, they lost all four games against in the regular season and now five. So they got that in the back of their mind. Dallas plays a defensive style. And by the way, since the start of the first round of the playoffs, so Dallas is the second best offense behind Colorado. So they've been able to match them offensively through one game. And it seems like ever since the round robin ended, Dallas has had some nice offensive flair here. Dallas looked great. And I'll pat myself on the back for Gorianov. But we talked about it last <laughs> week with Nick Alberga. Nick Alberga essentially teed me and you up, Pete, and said, hey, the Colorado Avalanche, I don't think they're a shoe-in to get to the Stanley Cup final. He cited the Vegas Golden Knights as a, a team that they may run into and have issues with. I cited the Dallas Stars as a team they may run into and have issues with. And I also mentioned the fact that all it takes, this is how quickly things can change in the NHL playoffs, all it takes is one injury here, one bad loss there, and the whole thing turns up on its, on its end, and now they have – their top goaltender, Grooby Dooby Doo, out with an injury that looks pretty long term. That changes the entire scope of everything when you're breaking down the NHL playoffs. Well, to me, you know, Pete and I actually picked the Stars to get to the Cup final in the preseason. I picked them to win and I suck with them. And the thing that stuck out in the first round, the Avalanche really didn't have any, um, you know, they had no trouble getting past the, the, the Coyotes, but the Stars. You know, they had some troubles there, some struggles. So, like, they actually had to play playoff hockey for a while. The Avalanche just kind of cruised through that series. So, I think this was a big wake-up call for them. 
Yeah, and the only win that the Coyotes got was the one where Kemper made like 49 saves. So, I mean, that was their only uh, ounce of adversity that they faced in terms of the avalanche. And then they blew them out of the building two games in a row and made quick work of them. So, and Dallas, of course, did a nice job finishing off Calgary in six games. What Bobby was mentioning, uh, the Guriana four-goal game and the seven-goal drop uh, to finish off that series was pretty resounding. So you definitely went into this series, even if you were picking the Avalanche, knowing that Dallas was going to give them a little bit of a fight here based on all these different factors. And Davey, it, it seemed like you punted on the question here. Is France Sue someone that you trust here in this spot? And not just to get through, you know, a couple games. Think about what Francu has to do. He has to get through the Dallas Stars, then potentially get through the Vegas Golden Knights. You have to remember, Colorado's aspirations here is not to win a playoff series. It's to get to the Stanley Cup final. And this just seems to me, as I look at it, this seems if he doesn't come back, Ruby Dooby Doo, in a reasonable amount of time, I'm writing the Colorado Avalanche off. I'm going to do it. Well, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I didn't really think there's like a huge drop-off between Francu and Grubauer. The guy, it's not like the guy was a backup and played five games this year. He played pretty well. He played for a good offense. But you mentioned it, Bob. He'd have to beat Dallas, possibly Vegas, and then like Tampa and Boston. Like even if Grubauer's back, that's not a shoe. Those are some hard games. Colorado's going to need their offense to come through besides the first line. Coach Bednar said it. No one else showed up in game one. So we're going to see what happens tonight. Yeah, that's a good point, Davey. This is not the toughest of the road just yet, and it's going to be enough of a hill to climb for Francois. He did have uh, the second-best road winning percentage of any goalie in the league in the regular season. Take that for what it's worth. I worry more, like, Eric Johnson also got injured. Colorado can play offensively, but how good are they defensively without Eric Johnson? Like, who's going to fill in for EJ? He's one of their best overall defenseman and brings the physicality and all that like he has for many years I think you've seen in recent years when Johnson is out like the defense just looks a lot more shaky for Colorado so I'm interested to see like would they would they dare to insert that kid Bowen Byram who was one of the top uh, picks a couple of years ago in the draft the guy scored like 40 goals in the WHL over the past two seasons combined some say that he might even be as good as Kale McCarr in the years to come. So we might get like for the second year in a row, a glimpse of a top prospect defenseman for the avalanche in the playoffs for his first NHL game. We'll see. Well, you mentioned it last year. Exactly. They did it with Kale McCarr. I think he scored what a goal in the first game, but if they go down to nothing, there's no doubt in my mind. I think you're right. Bowen Byron's going to come in. The teams obviously match up pretty well offensively on defense. The uh, edge clearly goes to Dallas high school and Klingberg. They have all these guys on defense who can score, but you're right. Eric Johnson is huge. He blocks shots. He plays defense really well. He does everything for them back there. So to not have him, and not have your top goalie, that's going to take a toll, you're right, on the other defenseman there. It's such a huge loss. And, and again, Eric Johnson's a huge loss. And this is what I'll say. When I saw Grooby Dooby Doo go down, you saw the players on the avalanche, their shoulders just slumped. They were slamming sticks. That's how it feels when you lose your starting goaltender in the Stanley Cup playoffs and you're trying to win the Stanley Cup. It's that difficult to do with the entire team intact. When you lose your starting goaltender, now you're going to Fransu. Listen, Fransu is a nice little goaltender, okay? He had a nice little regular season. We're trying to win a Stanley Cup here. 
I don't know if France Sue is the guy. So that's the last thing I'll say on the avalanche. And then the next thing I'll say is, and I don't want to jump the gun, but I'm sorry. The Canucks, they might be done in four after what I saw last night. Vegas looks quicker. Vegas is way better. I know Travis Green is going to make a few adjustments here and there, but I'm sorry. If the Canucks don't seem to get their uh, house in order, it's a full-on sweep Vegas to the next round, and they're rested and they're ready to go for either Dallas or Colorado. Yeah, I think that definitely, like, we we talk about how good Vancouver's top six is, even without Tyler Toffoli, like, one of the only teams out there maybe with a better top six and top nine are the Vegas Golden Knights, and that team, like, what they, is their leading goal scorer this playoffs? Alex Tuck, who plays on the third line. But, like, these guys have been pounding in goal. Like, Mark Stone's better than a point per game. Pacioretty's scoring now. Your guy, Shea Theodore Davey, right? You've been uh, pumping his tires for DFS the past couple of weeks, and he continues to deliver. So, And it doesn't matter which goal he starts. I mean, there was a little bit of drama over the weekend, of course, with Flurry and Leonard and stuff. But Leonard turns around and gets a shutout, baby. Well, before we get to that real quick, just on Fransu again, Bobby, he made 18 saves on 20 shots in that game and he came in and it was still a game and it was a game throughout. So it's not like he was garbage in that game. So I think they'll be okay with him, even though I think Dallas still takes the series. You want to respond before I go on to my next? uh... I do want to respond. I just want to say this, Davey, let's, let's have a full perspective here. They've lost their starting goaltender. They're trying to win a Stanley Cup. Let's not poo-poo it. Let's not, you know, say it's not a big deal. They got Fran Sue. He's been in net all season long. This is a huge deal. And the body language that I saw from the Avalanche, listen, you can turn it around for sure. But you know what? It's very difficult. It's very difficult when you have your entire team intact. Now they're going with Fran Sue. Okay, go on to the Vegas Golden Knights. I can't even, I can't even talk about Fran Sue anymore. Okay, well, every team that's been successful so far has used two goalies. Okay, moving on. Vegas. They only have one goalie now, Davey. One. (laughs) That's it. One. One goalie now. That's it. One goalie. Okay, I'll move on to Vegas. Pete, you're exactly right. Fleury, he hasn't lost to the Canucks since, like, what, 2006? I think I was in grade school back then. But Leonard, who they opted to go with, he's got three wins against the Canucks in his career, and they're all shutouts. So, you know, what's going to happen here for game two? I don't think there's any way they can go to Fleury. But, you know, they have two great options. And I think it was a great sign, like for what Bobby was talking about, like maybe them making quick work of the Canucks in this series. Like the Blues definitely, I think, got caught by surprise and found themselves chasing and trying to come back over the entire course of the series based on how it went early and how it went in game five, right? Another deficit. But yeah, like Vegas, that was such a great sign for them that they only committed one penalty. Canucks power play, best in the league, went 0 for 1 very quietly right? Like it's not only a matter of killing the penalties. If they're not going to take the penalties, that takes away the best part of the Vancouver Canucks. Look among the league leaders. Almost everyone is the Canucks in power play points, whether it's Besser, Pedersen, you know, Horvat, all these guys. Take that element away and you can finish this series very quickly. Well, for me, the thing that stood out was, Pete, you and I did their, their Minnesota series. And in that first game, they got shut out. They didn't look good. But that was their first playoff game in, like, what, five years? This game was a game they should have woken up for. They knew they were the underdogs. They were playing well, defeating the defending champions. And they just did not show up. It did not look like a playoff game for them. So I think you're right. This could be – it could be a very quick series. 
Um, Vancouver is going to have to adjust very quickly, but Vegas, they have everything going for them. The goalies, the defense, the, like what, what's going to stop them. And Bobby, I'm just going to say on that over under, we had the over all the way in that game last night. <laughs> hey, you know, I don't even know if this is a criticism of Vancouver. I think it's just a lot of credit to Vegas who right now they are just a machine. They are a full on machine with every single piece in place you know, the owner wants to win a Stanley Cup. The GM wants to win a Stanley Cup. They're built to win a Stanley Cup. And when you have a team built like that and clicking on all cylinders with both goaltenders and, and a full-on healthy roster, this is the result. This is the result, especially when you're playing a Canucks team who probably is here a year or two earlier than expected. This is what you see. You see a 5 nothing route. Well, just real quick on that. I heard this yesterday during the game. Pete DeBoer, his first year as coach, the last in his last two times as coach with the Devils and the Sharks, he's taken the team to the cup final in his first year as coach. Let's be honest, Vegas obviously has a much better team than the Devils or Sharks, but I don't know if this guy gets enough credit for the job he does as coach. And he's done a great job with them since he took over. Yeah, I, th- I think you see that trend a lot with some of these, uh, you know, not retread coaches because they're really worthy coaches each and every time they're hired. I think you see immediate results from him. Many different cases, same with like Peter Laviolette, who's still out there, by the way, and Elaine Vigneault. These guys seem to always start really strong and then over the course of time, maybe uh, fall out of favor a little bit. But DeBoer was a kind of a against the grain higher midseason. And I think it's worth noting like what we're talking about with Robin Leonard and Pete DeBoer like Pete DeBoer has seemed to favor Robin Leonard it's worth noting that they both came to the Golden Knights in the middle of the season right it was a mid-season coaching change and then a trade deadline acquisition so take that for what it is but I think it's it's cool because Vegas really underachieved for large portions of the season we expected them to be a juggernaut and for many points in the season because of injuries or whatever slumps power play struggles like they weren't really um, up to billing but those moves at the deadline Alec Martinez trade they made some some moves to reevaluate their roster and get it into tip-top shape and then after the pause they've looked really really good what they're eight and one in the in the postseason so that's really impressive yeah and just a quick thing um, we were talking about DeBoer on coaches you know Todd Reardon gets fired yesterday if I'm the GM I saw this tweet from Tom Galee, like their last five coaches they've hired, it's been their like first job. I mean, Ovechkin has what a year left on his contract. It's not like the team's going to be blown up. Even if Holtby goes, you still got Backstrom, Ovechkin, Carlson, Samstonov. So I think they have to hire one of those coaches. They let Barry Trotz go. That was clearly a mistake. You got to pay a Laviolette or a Galani. You, you got to pay a coach and you want an experienced coach there because this team two years in a row, you know, they, they just didn't show up. Yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, at points in the regular season, the Caps were a real elite team. They were the best. I think they had best road points percentage. You know, they're like the typical Caps. They get wins and shootout wins and overtime wins in their sleep, and they pad the standings and stuff. But back-to-back first-round exits, uh, you can't really say anything to dispute this here. And, of course, to make it worse, he lost uh, in five games to – the guy that uh, preceded him. So that was uh, a last laugh for Barry Trotz, uh, who walked after the the cup final year. Yeah, and they had a very, very quick and frosty handshake. Very, very frosty. And I'm sorry, but Todd Reardon, it was time to go. I mean, 
you could have yeah. sat down and it could have been your first series ever watching hockey and you would have realized that it was time for for Reardon to say goodbye to the franchise and to to move on maybe a scenario where and I've seen a, a bunch of people tweeting about this I'm not so sure Bobby will put his insider hat on uh, Mike Babcock Gerard Gallant you know Laviolette in the mix we'll see what happens in Washington but Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I was just I was texting Robbie about this yesterday, and we were saying like they they shouldn't overthink this thing. It, it's almost uh, it's unbelievable that Galan is still out there, right? Mm-hmm. Some teams have made some coaching changes in the off season so far. Some hirings. Devil Devils hired a new coach. Like there's still some what some interim guys between like the Predators and the Sharks, and maybe another team or two that I'm missing, but. Yeah, like the fact that Galan is still out there, I, I can't believe that um, he was fired this year. So um, that's that's the logical quick fix. And it could be a long-term fix, too, to get them through this uncertain time. Well, it's possible that Galan is just ignoring everyone because he's ignoring me. I've been uh, texting him since the beginning <laughs> of the pause to come on a podcast and get some thoughts from Galan, and I have mm-hmm. not gotten a response. So maybe he's just – he's given everyone the old stiff arm. Maybe he's going to Seattle, Davey. He's worked in Vegas. I mean, you got a guy. He also took right. over, right? Was it Columbus that he was an assistant there when they first started out? So guy has experience with these franchises. But for someone like him, I think he'd rather have a job where, hey, he has a shot at the Stanley Cup, not a, you know, a, a one-off, which will happen with Vegas. But who knows? Would be a great hire. Let's get some quick thoughts on today's games and also the Boston-Tampa game one where it was 3 nothing. I mean, Boston, people were concerned about Boston in the round robin, the start of this thing, Tukarask. Boy, oh boy, they look really, really good. Boston looked good, tight, tight checking, opportunistic goals when they need them. That's what I saw when I watched the game last night. It's scary to see some of those guys getting going. When Marshan's playing like that, it, it gets the whole team's juices flowing for sure. Uh, really nice outing by Halak. When you look at how, especially in the second period, Tampa Bay really had the onslaught on him and he didn't allow a goal. So that's the type of stuff you look for, like to suck the life out of Tampa Bay. These two teams have been the best in the league two straight years. Uh, they didn't meet in the playoffs last year, unfortunately. So I do expect a response from Tampa Bay in game uh, number two. but And it was good to see Hedman get going offensively at the end of that game to give them some belief that they can make this a series. But, yeah, you're right. For the first uh, half, you know, two-thirds of this game, Bobby, I mean, it felt like Tampa Bay was overmatched, unfortunately, for them. It's a shame that one of these teams is going to have to lose in the second round, both, you know, Stanley Cup favorites, so to speak. But I watched the game and I agree with you guys. Even I mean, Vasilevsky kept him in early. He had like 15 saves or something in the first period. But Halak was just like – he was making saves that he shouldn't – the two goals that he allowed were both, I think, they hit Charlie McAvoy. They were like screens on McAvoy. So he was dialed in from the start. And another thing about Boston, I mean, you look at his production – so far this postseason compared to last year, David Krejci has been at another level. I mean, last year, the remember the power play was so good for, for Boston, tops in the league for most of the postseason. The top line was fueling them throughout, and then the second line was kind of underwhelming, and that was one of our big concerns with them coming into the postseason this year. But Krejci has uh, 10 points in nine games this year among the scoring leaders and, you know, chipping in on the power play, even strength. 
getting the most out of his line mates. I mean, that's all you could ask for. And that gives them a chance to go all the way. I think that was something they were missing last year. Well, the two years the Bruins made the cup final, he led them in scoring both times. I mean, if they, if they won the, in 2013, he would have won the con Smythe probably, but I think he's got a seven game point streak. And as far as DFS goes, like I have this guy in my lineup every night, he's really cheap. He's chips in. And you mentioned he comes, he shows up in the playoffs and, you know, you're going to have the, the top line, the Pasternak's, the Bergeron's, the Marchand's. But for the price you can get him in, he chips in every single night. Well, I think for sure that Tampa would be a really good – and these games are coin flip. The prices are basically coin flip games. I would have to imagine Tampa – I mean, they have to level the series. I would hammer Tampa in game two just based off the fact that if you think you're going to – come back against the Boston Bruins down two games to none in a seven game series. It's not happening. It's a, it's a must must win. And, and the price is very fair. I would take Tampa in game two. And we take a look at today's schedule. We got Islanders flyers at 7 PM Eastern standard time on NBCSN. And then game two, Dallas, Colorado, you would expect a similar response with Colorado, but Again, Francois and Net, I'm not sure it's a sure thing like I do Tampa winning game two against Boston. Yeah, definitely. I trust uh, Francois a little, you know, the least out of the four goalies on the board, whether it's uh, the two hot guys with uh, Carter Hart and Semyon Varlamov. And then Kadobin has been holding his own for sure. So, yeah, he's the weakest link right now. He'll have to prove us otherwise before we take him a little more seriously. For Tampa Bay, I mean, their power play is really concerning me. I really wanted to mention that. I don't think they scored a power play goal in the whole series against Columbus. They were 0 for 3 in game one. You could say, what's wrong with the power play? You know what's wrong with it? Steven Stamkos isn't there. So, And uh, you know, I saw some people clamoring about that on Twitter yesterday. And it makes sense. I mean, over the course of time, you're going to need to match Boston punch for punch, pound for pound. And Boston's power play will get it done over the course of the series. You don't know that about Tampa Bay. It's not just that they're facing a defensive system like Columbus. It seems like there might be a problem here, and it might be the root of it is Stamkos' absence. You know, Dave? I expect Tampa Bay to come back, like you guys are saying, in game two. But I'm wondering, if they go down 2 nothing, or maybe even 3 nothing, 3-1, do they do what they did a couple of years ago when Stamkos, like, what, do you have, like, a broken foot or something? And he just – remember that game seven? He just played and – he wasn't that effective, but they just yeah. threw him out there. I'm wondering if they're going to do something like that. Um, as far as the other series, I think Dallas tonight takes a 2-0 lead in the series. They've played well since four pretty much last year. I mean, I think they're just going to come out. They, they know For them, it's, like they, it's a must-win game for them pretty much, I think. So I like the Stars tonight. I agree with what Bob said. Like, if Tampa goes down 2 nothing, the series is over, especially with what, what we've seen in this postseason – you know, point to whatever you want. But the fact that there were no game sevens the last round is concerning in terms of like these teams resiliency. They're in the bubble. They're on the cusp of leaving the bubble. Does that factor into it at all? Uh, It seems like teams have not really responded well to adversity here. The only clinch, the only uh, series deciding game was the first what qualifying round. And it took that miracle comeback for, for Toronto to even get there. So that's been a weird trend. I mean, usually, right, almost every round we see two or three game sevens in years past, but we haven't seen many so far. I was thinking about this, and maybe it has to do with the fact that there's no home team, there's no road team. So, like, the, I pretty much the best team, I think, is going to win and close pretty quickly. But you mentioned 
there were no game sevens. Bob, you'll probably like this. We know I'm not the best at over-unders, but I have a new strategy in elimination games. I am always taking the over. I was covering the Blues Canucks game six, one nothing after the first period. My friend texted me. I said, take the over right now. It was over five and a half. You know, I said, he said, oh, you're crazy. I said, no, as soon as it gets to be a close game, Vancouver is either, the Blues are either going to score and the, you know, St. Louis probably pulls their goalie with five, four minutes to go. You're either going to get two empty net goals or a six on five goal and empty net goal. And that's exactly what happened. I was very happy with that. That's a good angle, Davey. Very good angle. Sorry, I'm fiddling with my microphone here, having some audio issues, and I'm not going to let you guys skate without getting some DFS picks for today's games, some, some insight into the Islanders-Flyers game. We talked a little bit about Dallas-Colorado. Listen, this is a tale of two teams, the way I see Islanders-Philly going into this series. I see the Islanders clicking on all cylinders, and I see the Flyers struggling to get going here and surviving that Montreal Canadian series, but maybe they had to play that way just to get past the Canadians. The thing is the Islanders are very similar to the Canadians. So, and the flyers, the the goal output was just not there. This, this series is going to be, to me, it's a coin flip. I don't even know where to go. Islanders or flyers. Yeah. I mean, the flyers have, uh, I think the slight advantage in net, but otherwise I like the way the Islanders are playing five on five. I know the power play has been brutal, but Philly's power play has been brutal too. Philly has the worst power play among remaining teams, uh, slightly behind Tampa Bay. They're only 10.3%. And even the Islanders, which is, was horrible the last round with the man advantage, they're about 5% better than the Philadelphia Flyers in that regard. So I'm worried about that. I'm picking the Islanders to go to the conference final I think things will end for them there, whether they play Boston, for sure it will end because that's not a good matchup for them uh, in recent history. And even Tampa Bay, I think, would take down the Islanders for sure. But, you know, this has been a nice story for the Islanders. They have maybe the best center depth in the entire league right now, you know, with all their weapons. Barzell, Brock Nelson has been amazing under trots, John Gabriel Peugeot, and even Sezikis. Like, they have every element you could want in their center depth. So that's been a big advantage for them controlling play five on five. Uh, you can't really, uh, you know, you can't criticize too much about how the Islanders have been playing at five on five in the playoffs here. Well, I think the coaching is pretty much almost a wash. The goaltending is a wash, but to me, if you're the flyers, two things are concerning. One, you had one goal from your top five scores against the Canadians. I think Kevin Hayes had it. Number two, uh, they were outscored 13 to 11 in the series. Like you get outscored in a series and you win. I mean, let's be honest, the Islanders, man, I have a great offense, but it's better than the Canadians. So to me, those, the Flyers, I mean, I think they'll, they'll win this, but Bobby, you said it, it's a coin flip and you got to have your, your stars score. And if we were going to factor in that Dallas won all four in the regular season against Colorado, we have to mention that the Islanders won all three against Philly in the regular season, again, for what it's worth, but it's going to be a very tight series in terms of the odds. You know, one team should respond after the other. This might be a six or seven game series. It's two division rivals. They haven't met in the playoffs in a long time, but it's, uh, it would be great to see Varlamov keep this thing going, match Carter Hart, and let's get a long series in here, a tight, long series, and uh, have some drama here to get to the tr- conference final with the trip on the line. No doubt. I don't see it being a short series at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
for any team. I think this is going to go six or seven. Varlamov has been great. Carter Hart's been great. It's going to be nip-tuck hockey throughout because, you know, both those teams play defense and, and have a defensive presence. Um, as far as DFS plays for Monday, August 24th, some guys you're focused in on. Davey, want to start with you? Or do you want to go with Pete? Why don't we go with Pete first and let Davey get his thoughts together here on the DFS plays on a Monday, August 24th. Well, I wanted to tee up Davey because Davey has been uh, dabbling in this, uh, this new contest uh, format, right? He's been checking it out. It's called Snake Draft. Uh, it's on uh, FanDuel. Everybody should check it out. I guess it's three people go in, do kind of like a season-long fantasy-style snake draft. And you, you don't have salaries attached to players, so you can take the best player available. And that's what we did today for our DFS picks article. We actually ranked the players. So if you do a snake draft, refer to that article. It comes to you. You're like, okay, I'm going to take, you know, take the best center available. So I'll take either Matthew Barzell, Tyler Sagan, or Claude Giroux in this spot. And you weigh team security. You weigh shots on goal, you know, the safety net, all those types of things. And it's a cool new contest. I think it might, uh, you know, be a little better than the standard one, right, Dave? Well, the thing to me is there's three people in the snake draft. So I did a one for free yesterday. I had the last pick. So I had the third pick and I had the first pick in the second round, so to speak. The first two people ahead of me, the first guy took Jacob Markstrom and the second guy took Yaroslav Halak. Now, to me, if you're playing this format, which I think is great, you have to – if there's only two games, like you've got to wait to take your goalie. With those four goalies – I got Robin Lehner with the la- my entire last pick in, in the draft. So I shored up my offense. I got a Mark Stone. I got a Kucherov. Like I had a, I, my lineup was stacked, and I ended up placing first in that. But I think in this kind of thing, you got to go with your goalie last and focus on that offense. Davey, this is not another example of you playing fantasy games, contest pools with your younger nieces and nephews, is it? Or are you playing with your peers? These were legitimate people, and I was as shocked as you are that I said, hey, you know, I wanted to test this out, so did a little free free run with two others, and uh, yeah, the way it shaked out, I said, hmm, you know, but uh, it's a great new format, and Pete, as you mentioned, if you're doing it for tonight, Colorado, Dallas, New York, Philly, you have to think the avalanche, like the top four, three or four picks are going to be avalanche forwards taken, I would imagine. Yeah, and then your top defenseman uh, is pretty tight with how well Miro Haskinen's playing for Dallas. He gets points almost every game. He's actually better than a point per game, but I would still take Kale McCarr first. And then, yeah, the forwards you mentioned, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, and even Kadri. Kadri you have, to, you have to view in a higher regard than even those three guys I mentioned before with Barzell, Giroux, and Sagan. Sagan really bounced back, though, in game one. That was good to see. And he is a guy that we are always on board with uh, because of his high shots on goal volume. So, yeah, Tyler Stegen is back with Jamie Benn and Alexander Radulov. And that line in game one looked really dynamic. They looked like the line from two years ago that was uh, really uh, top-notch, not the one that's been broken up game by game and underachieving, underwhelming for the past two years. I think they had eight points in game one and the three of them combined for 10 points against Calgary. So tonight after what they did in game one, I think they're going to come out and, you know, they're going to probably do this similar thing. Colorado's top line McKinnon had what three points. He was all over the ice. He had that amazing goal where he like what curled around, like took a shot on his off foot and went in. That was pretty slick, but 
I think Dallas's top line comes to play tonight too again. My pick, my lock for a Monday. You guys are going to be shocked when you hear this one, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. When everyone zigs, Bob Bender zags, I'm going to take the over in the Islanders-Flyers game. I'm going to take the over in that game. I think the Islanders are going to be able to convert their scoring chances, which they've done all playoffs long. The total is only five, so that's appealing to me. You might be able to get one, you know, an empty netter late. And plus the Flyers at some point, you know, they're going to convert on the power play. Their top guys are going to score goals. So, you know what? I think the total is so low based off of what these two teams have done previously, but I'll take the over five in tonight's contest. That would be my lock of the Monday slate. I'm sure there's some value on that because I would, I would add it up as like two great goalies and two struggling power plays. So most people would probably be more inclined to take the under, but that's definitely like, that could happen. What you definitely, what you just said. So uh, that's a good pick for sure. We do have Davey Carter Hart as our best goalie of the night. So do you think even like I'm high on the Islanders in the series, but there's a good chance that Philly wins this game, right? The goalie edge and uh, some untapped offensive potential for sure. A couple of those guys are still without a goal in the postseason, right? Couturier, Giroux, they both haven't scored. All of them except Hayes, I think maybe Mm -hmm. might be the only one, but uh I think the Flyers are going to win tonight. I, as you mentioned, I give the slight edge to Carter Hart, even though he did get pulled once and he almost got pulled a second time. I don't know if you guys talked about this on the last show, but the Canadians, what, I think it was, maybe it was game five where it was two, two, uh, you know, three, they were facing elimination and he almost gets pulled, but the goal is reviewed and it doesn't count. So they keep him in. I've never seen that happen before. And I was wondering what would, what it would do to this guy's head. You know, he's a 21 year old kid. Hey, you're out of here. Wait, nope, you're back in. So I don't know. I think he's responded pretty well. He has for sure. Yeah. He's responded well to losses in the playoffs and there haven't been many losses, but right. He won each game right after he gave up five four goals and then had back-to-back shutouts then gave up four goals again and then won the series for them. So and they're, they're fully equipped and willing to play low-scoring hockey to, to squeak by another. I mean, the Islanders, like, as well as they've played, they're not like a Tampa Bay or a Boston, you know? It's still a good draw for the Flyers on paper. One DFS gem that I wanted to mention is Josh Bailey. The guy has very quietly 10 points in nine games this postseason, and it's uh, uncharacteristic for the Islanders to have multiple guys uh, in double digits around this time, but they got a bunch of guys knocking at the door. A lot of those guys on the second line have been scoring. Beauvillier, Nelson, Josh Bailey, of course. Barzell is close to a point per game in the playoffs. The, you know, even the defense, like Ryan Pulak, if you're in one of those snake drafts and you're looking for a guy with coverage of blocks and shots and points, Pulak has been not too shabby, and honestly, his coverage might stack him up to guys like Haskinen and Klingberg and even Cal McCarr on the slate. You know, I'm, I really want to wait and see what happens in the Islanders-Flyers game tonight before I, you know, do anything with them moving forward just because I don't know what's going to happen. You mentioned, like, Bailey, you know, Bavillier. Yes, they were scoring, but Washington isn't the same team as Philadelphia, so I'm not sure what's going to happen, so I kind of would – I would kind of put my money on the Colorado Dallas game where you figure tonight there'll be more offense and then wait and see how it shakes out in the New York Philly series. Sounds good. And for anyone who doesn't know those snake draft formats, so the roster uh, alignment is three forwards, one D one goalie and one utility 
or I guess you could take any skater. So uh, you could get to the deeper part of the forward rankings or the defenseman rankings because, you know, depending on your strategy, are you more inclined to just add another forward in that slot, Davey? I am because most of the times they'll score, you know, most of the offense. But the way it went last night, we each had one defenseman. I had uh, someone, Quinn Hughes wasn't even taken. I took Shea Theodore. Someone took Victor Hedman, and, and I think, and I don't even remember the third guy, but uh, maybe Tory Crew. There were like so many guys who weren't taken that are just, just not going to be taken. So it's interesting. And take, there's a lot of skill involved because there's no salary, as you mentioned. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go through Davey's entire snake draft yesterday and his strategy for today's snake draft. But what you guys threw out there on the table um, is enough for our listeners to digest. And I greatly appreciate you, Davey, coming on here on a Monday, especially with all the late hours you're putting in. And not only do you show up on a Monday, you show up with a little information, a little heat. And you also are, are dressed for the event with the Seattle Kraken hat on. So I appreciate that. I know Petey does as well. Well, next time I'm on, the three of us, we're going to do one of those snake dress, Bobby. So get ready. It'll be informative. We'll see how we do. Okay. Get me in there. Get me in there. I was going to say, like, you know, you're talking about all these snake drafts and all the things you did, and I didn't get an invitation. But you know what? I'll just lay out on that, and I'll have Petey wrap it up. Yeah, maybe I guess uh, Robbie's off today. Maybe Robbie gets the first crack at it, and then we'll we'll get Bobby involved. Bobby is doing well with his auto drafted playoff pool <laughs> roster, though. I saw. I think Chris Wassel has like a really really big lead. So Chris Wassel is uh, no surprise there. The guy shows up for half of the draft, and you know I don't think any of his players have even been eliminated yet. Crazy. Yeah, that's been pretty fun. It's interesting. I think I've used three of my five moves already, but, you know, playoffs go on and wow, have some surprises. Moves. So, yeah. I didn't use a move yet. I, I was lucky to get Tyler Sagan into the second round, by, you know, by the skin of his teeth. But anyway, so, Davey, thanks for joining us. For Dave Satriano, Bob Bender, Pete Jensen, Robbie will be back next time. Look forward to it on this Monday morning, NHL Fantasy on Ice. Thanks for listening.